Hello, everyone, and welcome to All Things Episcopal, where we talk about everything and anything related to the Episcopal Church. This podcast was designed with young people in mind, so ages specifically 18 to 39. And it's a place to learn more about the Christian faith, um, specifically through the Episcopal lens. With this podcast in particular, we're going to offer a variety of ways to learn about the Episcopal Church. Some of these learning opportunities will come through conversations and interviews, sermons, and the reading of the daily office. We'll talk a little bit about that. We also want you to know that while we love our clergy, we also cherish the ministry of the laity. The laity, as our Book of Common Prayer says, is to represent Christ and His Church, to bear witness to Him wherever they are, and according to the gifts given to them, to carry on Christ's work of reconciliation in the world, and to take their place in the life, worship, and governance of the Church which is why we have laity represented in the planning and production of this podcast, along with clergy. We also deeply care about this podcast being a representation of the whole body of Christ, which means you're going to hear from a diverse group of voices. So in traditional Episcopal greeting fashion, the Lord be with you. And also with you. And also with you. My name is Claire Stern-Burbano, and my preferred pronouns are she, her. I have the privilege of serving as a lay minister, so I'm part of the laity, working specifically with youth, college, and young adults. And I'm also joined by two clergy members, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. My name is Father Colin Larimore. I am the assistant priest at Grace Episcopal Church in Carthage, Missouri. My preferred pronouns are he, him, his. Um, I work primarily with our parish in education and liturgy and teaching um, and currently looking into more outdoor related ministries and um, educational experiences in addition to this work. Cool. Well, I'm Father David Kendrick, and I am the rector of St. John's Episcopal Church in Springfield, Missouri, about an hour away from where Colin is. Um, in Carthage, my preferred pronouns are he, uh, him, and his. And as rector, I'm basically the jack of all trades, a little bit of everything. Uh, whatever the church and the parish and the diocese need, I try to do my part to help. Fantastic. Well, thank you both um, for lending your expertise on all things um, Episcopal. Because this is our first episode, um, all three of us thought it would be fitting to talk about the first thing that actually makes us members of the body of Christ, and that is the sacrament of baptism. So when we say sacrament, we're referring to the Book of Common Prayer's definition or explanation, rather, of um, an outward sign and visible, or sorry, outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. The Book of Common Prayer specifically, is the official book of worship of the Episcopal Church, and it contains the prayers and frameworks of our services and instructions so that all members and orders of the Episcopal Church may be appropriately, may appropriately share in common worship. In my opinion, it's the most beautiful prayer book. 
And you can easily find it online at www.bcponline.org. So Father Colin, Father David, what does being baptized into the body of Christ mean in the Episcopal Church? And what is our approach or style to baptism? Well, I'll, I'll take a stab at that. Um, the, the catechism that you quoted early in our prayer book, you know, when we talk about baptism being a sacrament, the outward invisible sign is water. Okay. The inward and spiritual grace that's given is a union with Christ and his death and resurrection. So basically baptism is, it's a little bit like a death. In fact, we are dying to a self that is basically um, only about ourselves as creatures, not as creatures made by God. But then uh, joined to Christ, we in fact share, that's the first sharing in his resurrection from the death. And at the same time, we are being born into a new family, the church. And so uh, baptism is, it is basically a new birth, um, rising with Christ, and joining this new family called the church. Yeah, absolutely. Father David nails that right on the head. And I would add to that, that with, with that death and new birth, there is um, the promises that we make as, as Christians, um, either on our own as adults or made on our behalf by godparents and our family and church community when we're um, infants, like what happened for me. Um, and with those baptismal promises, we continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of the bread and the prayers. We persevere in resisting evil in all forms. Uh, whenever we fall into sin, we repent and we return to the Lord. We proclaim by word and example the good news of God and Jesus. We seek and serve in all Christ in all persons, loving our neighbor as ourself. And we strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being. That's essential, I think, for our tradition as Episcopalians um, to keep that in mind, that with our baptism, with that death and new birth, are these promises that we strive to keep every day. One of the things I, I love most about our baptismal covenant is that it has social implications. Like we are called to live this out. It's not something that we just say um, and then we're welcomed into the body of Christ and it stops there, but it continues on for our entire life. It informs what we do and how we treat people and, you know, our, our daily movements in life. Um, so it informs our, our ethics, um, so to speak. And, um, I, for one, am very glad that I made promises as a nine year old. So I remember my baptism. Um, I knew what I was getting myself into. And, um, I think that that's a really cool thing to, to have guide you throughout your life. Do either of you remember your baptism or a story from your baptism? Colin, what about you? Oh, I, um, so I was baptized when I was two months of age. Um, so very, very small. 
And, um, you know, I don't, I don't remember (laughs) obviously, um, that experience, but I can tell you that with, with our liturgy of the baptism of the baptismal rite, um, any opportunity that we have to participate in that liturgy, um, well, myself as clergy, Father David is clergy, um, but even, you know, laity, deacon, um, when we have the opportunity to participate in a baptism, we are, in a sense, remembering our own baptism in that moment. And so while I do not have images that, you know, vividly come to mind of my own baptismal experience, um, I live into and remember my baptismal experience often. So, yeah. So I'm in a uh, probably a more unique position among Episcopalians in that I also remember my baptism because I was baptized also at the age of nine in the uh, Southern Baptist Church. I was raised uh, Southern Baptist, but I was baptized basically, you know, uh, it, it the, the church we were baptized in, you know, uh, it, you had the stage where the, the preacher and the would, would sit and then talk. And then behind them was a big choir. And then in the wall, literally, you could there was there was a glass window and that opened in that and you could see a little pool. And so I walked in, to, I walked down, took the steps down to the pool and Pastor Graves, you know, um, uh, kind of put his hand on the small of my back and kind of pinched my nose and said, David, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he pushed me back in the water and brought me up. So I was dunked. Um, and so, but the, the important thing about that is, and this kind of gets to another question that I know you, you, you're going to be asking, you're asking Claire about, well, do people need to get rebaptized? And that and that's something we run into. That a lot of different denominations, people come and they think, well, I've been baptized two or three times. But and here, and this is also for those who are baptized as infants. Baptism is the beginning of a spiritual journey. It is not the end of the journey. It is a beginning of growing in a life of faith, hope, and love. And in, and we're very clear in the Episcopal Church, if you have been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, your baptism counts. We don't we do not require rebaptism just because someone was baptized in another denomination. The only circumstance that we might I, I, I think if someone was coming to us from a denomination where they had baptized in the name of Jesus, I think in that circumstance, we would require, in effect, that they, to, for lack of a better word, be rebaptized. But we are all Christians. If we believe in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we're all part of God's one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And so, um, so as I said, I remember mine, but I remember also uh, being confirmed in the Episcopal Church as kind of the kind of the culmination of that spiritual journey that had begun for me as a Southern Baptist. Well, thank you both for, for sharing stories of, of baptism with us. Um, Father David, you mentioned the style in which you were baptized, which was being dunked or submerged into water. 
um, in the Episcopal Church, we don't necessarily denounce that, but that isn't our typical practice, is it? Um, so I'm wondering, since you all serve in different uh, types of congregations, if you can touch on that a little bit, um, do you all still do like full-on immersion or dunking or something else? <laughs> well, in you can do immersion. I mean, there's nothing is perfectly prescribed uh, in the 79 prayer book. The architecture of most Episcopal churches usually precludes that. There is a font. And so, so I, I, in fact, I did a baptism just a few weeks ago of an adult, and I had her make sure she leaned over the font, you know, and I poured water on the top of her head. But the first church I, I served in was a newer church where they had built, there was a little font, there was a font. But then they had the pl- they'd fixed the plumbing so that the water flowed through that font and it flowed into a little pool. And so I actually did the baptism by immersion. So the whether it's immersion or whether it's pouring some water on, it's it's all the same. Man, that's right. Many amount of water and holy in the name of the Father, Son, of the Holy Spirit, and with a priest, you're boom set, ready to go. So um, yep. But yeah, I would say for most, just like Father David said, the architecture really determines what you're going to be able to do. But I know a lot of places, I know a lot of Episcopal churches that, um, you know, they, they kind of stick to that traditional four times a year uh, baptismal schedule. Um, and they, they plan those for days when they can pop down to the river and and make it make it a real, you know, um, <laughs> uh, I don't know, I don't want to say folksy, but... Um, down home baptism, traditional river baptism, um, which is great and awesome. So, uh, any amount of water. Cool. The other thing that I love about uh, the liturgy um, for holy baptism is that we also do something a little bit beyond just the water. We do the the sealing of um, of being marked as Christ's own. Um, so using um, chrism oil. So can you tell us a little bit more about why we use chrism oil? Well, it's it's it, it's it's goes back to the earliest days of the church where oil it was kind of anointing basically. Mm-hmm. People, you know, Jesus we are told was in effect anointed with the Holy Spirit when he was baptized. Um, kings of Israel were anointed with holy oil as a way of designating them as special, as set apart. Um, oil was a healing agent in ancient times. If it was scented, then it's it, it was a it was a sweet uh, smell. Um, oil was just a way, and, and it just I guess in a way you could think of the metaphor of smoothing things. It makes things smoother. And it's meant to kind of say that we're on a journey with Jesus and Jesus is kind of smoothing out the way. And so um, that was something that that so giving the chrism of oil is a way of saying to people, you know, the, the water has washed you and made you clean. But now you're sealed. Here's this oil. And this means Jesus is with you wherever you go. And, and as I said in the liturgy, you are now marked as Christ's own forever. Yeah, um, and I, I would also add that some some churches, um, 
um, my parish as a as a point of reference um, still puts salt in the water too at baptism as a you know a little added um, exorcism here and there so um, uh, you know so it's it can change a little bit but you know oil and water are are the standard for for us Episcopalians. Mm-hmm. Father Colin, you mentioned that there are four uh, four days that are traditionally um, used, so to speak, when baptism happens. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on those feast days? Yeah, so um, Father David, you might have to help me a little bit because I'm going to struggle with all four, but it's the Great Vigil of Easter, the Baptism of our Lord. Mm-hmm. All Saints and Pentecost. Pentecost. Okay, yeah. Um, <clears throat> those are the four days of the church that were originally, you know, set aside for baptisms. Um, but when you think about the way the early church operated, you, when you were not baptized, you weren't participating in, you know, parts of the liturgy that today we participate in on a regular basis, like Holy Communion, you know, you, you would sit for the, the feast of, or the, um, the word, you would sit for the word portion of the liturgy and, you know, learn, and then you, you would kind of go do your classes. Uh, I don't know what the word they used in the ancient churches <laughs> for that, but, and then, you know, when you were baptized, you were, you entered into like specifically at the great vigil of Easter, you know, the bishop led you into the church and then you were the newly baptized and you were first to receive communion. Um, so that's why the church kind of holds on to some of those days. But I mean, you don't have to stick to that schedule. There's no there's no rule that says you have to stick to those days. You know, and, and if I can go on what, a little bit on what Colin said there and, and remember in the earliest years of the church. Um, Remember, Christianity was illegal in the Roman Empire. And so to be baptized could mean that at some point you you were you could be in effect signing your death warrant. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were baptized a Christian and then you were outed and you were told, well, let's prove you're not a Christian by throwing a pinch of incense on this altar to Caesar, who was being considered a god, and you didn't do that, well. You know, that there were many martyrs. And so here's a little historical detail that, you know, um, people, when they were baptized, they would literally strip naked before going into the water. Because this was really, I mean, this was a life-changing choice that you uh, were making. And, you know, sometimes a lot, you know, to I read, I've read in uh, Education for Ministry, and I can explain later what EFM is, that there are, we all have liturgies or rituals. There are cyclical liturgies, right? Like a birthday, that there's, a, when you have a party, that's a cyclical liturgy. You know, there, there are cycles of life, and we have to commemorate these cycles. And then there are crisis liturgies. You know, there, we are at a moment of choice. And baptism, especially the way it's practiced today, is a little bit of both. Right. If, as Episcopalians, we we want our we want our children to start this journey, and so we baptize our children as soon as we can. But the baptismal covenant really forces on us. This is still a crisis. We still have to make that choice. Um, are we prepared to live by this covenant relationship with God? That is 
that is not breakable. It's not a contract where, okay, you're saved unless you do something wrong and that's it. It's a covenant. It means God's relationship with us. We might try to break it, but it, but it won't be broken. And so, um, and so there is that sense of baptism as really a life changing choice. And uh, the four times a year that we do it, one interesting liturgical note is that on those four Sundays that we mentioned, the great, the Easter vigil, Pentecost, um, all saints, the baptism of our Lord, first Sunday after Epiphany, you can use the baptismal covenant in place of the Nicene Creed. Even if you're not doing a baptism, you can use that to remind people this is the covenant that, that God has made with us and that we've made with God. Yeah, and even if you don't have a baptism on that day and you do switch it out, switch out the creed for um, the baptismal promises, that's a wonderful opportunity um, and, and oftentimes a nice break, I want to say, in, in, in maybe your regular preaching um, style or theme, you know, because everybody's different, but it, it gives you an opportunity to just get back to the basics and remember that as a christian this is our this is our litmus this is our basics and to remember those and to to keep them close and in front of you you know in your mind in your mouth and in your heart yeah similar to to switching out the the nicene creed for the baptismal covenant um and we'll get into this a little bit later about the daily office, but whenever we recite the daily office, we say the Apostles' Creed. So that's also kind of a, a reminder in some way to what we believe and what we're affirming um, as individuals, I think. Um, so we could even do that on a daily basis um, in some cases, in a loose way. <laughs> um, so I've been reading this wonderful book. I know that both of you have probably either heard of it or read of it before. It's called uh, Praying Shapes Believing, a Theological Commentary on the Book of Common Prayer. And one thing that caught my attention that I think might be helpful to um, our listeners is that it suggests that baptism is meant to be a communal witness, that we cannot baptize in private. So I'm wondering why this is, and can you elaborate on that? So, um, first, I would, I, if I, if I, if I read the rubrics correctly, I, I, I don't, I think you could baptize in private. Every one time, I will say, I had someone who was so introverted mm. that I, I really did feel like it would just be almost traumatic for them to try to have a Sunday baptism. And so I did do a baptism uh, on a Saturday, but um, that's a change. From, I will say the 1979 prayer book, and that, you know we've had four prayer books in the American Episcopal Church. And yes, the tradition before 1979 was that baptism was considered a, a family affair, and those services usually took place on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon um, after church. the The reason that that the change was made in the 1979 prayer book is the belief that. Yes, baptism is about me being born again. And that there's that, that sense of individual relationship with Jesus. And yes, we all want a personal relationship with Jesus. 
But, and I will say this for my own self, I think one of the reasons that I ended up becoming an Episcopalian, and in fact, sometimes when people, you know, some, some Christians will sometimes ask you, well, when were you born again? Like, you should know the day, the time. And I will usually say, well, I would say the Easter Vigil when I was uh, confirmed in the Episcopal Church. Because that was when I learned that salvation, being saved, isn't just about me and God. It's about us and God. It's about a world that's being saved. And I think that the whole idea of a, of a covenantal relationship with God and with each other emphasizes that salvation is a family affair. And that's why I think the main reason why we do prefer that baptisms be done in, in the community of the church. Thank you for that redirection. I'm I'm grateful for that. <laughs> I I have nothing really to add to that. I would only say that um in the rubrics of the prayer book, it says that holy baptism is appropriately administered within the Eucharist as the chief service on a Sunday or other feast. But and and this may just be the way you read into things, right? But if it says appropriately administered within the Eucharist on a Sunday, it doesn't mean that you can't do a private baptism, but maybe reserve it for a Sunday as as a learning option for or a learning experience for the community. Not only that, especially for people who are new and new to the church, there are more and more people are, are not church in any way. And so it, it does often serve as an educational opportunity. Not only that, but it's best done in community, as Father Father David said. But also, I will say, I have seen a private baptism that has enough family to fill an entire church. So, so while it may be private to a family, there's still almost seventy people, um, you know, present. So they they do happen sometimes like that. So I think it just it's a contextual thing, too. Sure. No, I'm grateful for both of your responses. Um, and I think the way I read that was like you and the priest. Um, and that's it. Um, yeah. there, there's no like family or, um, you know, other folks in the room, so to speak. Um, but I, I love that you mentioned that baptism as a communal witness being a teaching opportunity because recently, um, so my husband grew up Roman Catholic, um, in a, a Latin country and his best friend came to church and he is non-religious. Um, and it happened two weeks ago that they were both here at the cathedral. And, um, what's fascinating was my husband had never seen an Episcopal baptism before. And, we don't have children, but we've certainly had the conversation about having family. And it started a really great conversation amongst the three of us and all very different understandings of how we make meaning and um, what our spiritual lives are. So it really was a wonderful conversation. So I, I totally get that and appreciate that baptism is about a learning experience as well. Um And since I want to honor y'all's time and our listeners' time, 
I want to close out with two more questions. What for you as Christians, not necessarily Episcopal priests, brings you most joy about the sacrament of baptism? Colin, what about you? Oh, gosh. Um, that That's a tough question because I think it can be it can be so many different things at, at all at the same time and at different times. Um, you know, as as somebody who um, likes to think of themselves as fairly good at understanding theology, um, I you know I, I it to me is an opportunity to really nerd out on my in my head, um, and and that's and that's a gift in and of itself. Um, in the moment, uh, as a as a priest and somebody who gets to participate in that capacity, it, there is there is nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Um, and that, the, the same can be said for a funeral, funeral liturgy, for a marriage. Um, they all have such beautiful, intimate ways in which you can relate and be in relationship with people and with God together. Um, you enter into a space that can't be shared by anybody else unless they, they're there participating with you. Um, it's not something you can be a fly on the wall for. It's something you you live and move and 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 live and lean into. Perhaps would be a good way of saying it. That it's it's a space you step into. It's it's something holy and wholly other than maybe what we participate in every day when we walk outside our house. Man, I don't know. That was probably a really convoluted answer, but. <laughs> it's baptism great <laughs> so my favorite moment of a baptism is always um especially well especially with an adult when you know we're at the front of the church where everybody can sit and watching and then i walk them back i walk them back to the narthex so we walk past all of the people and we turn around and then i say let us welcome the newly baptized. And in our prayer book, it says, everybody says, we receive you into the household of God. Confess the faith of Christ crucified, proclaim his resurrection, and share with us in his eternal priesthood. Um, I just love that for one thing. That is the one moment where lay people are reminded, right? They are a kind of priest. We are all sharing in Christ's priesthood. Colin and I are one kind of priest, but they also have this call to 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 help restore all people to unity with God and each other in Christ. And I, I always love this newly baptized person hearing all of these people say, welcome to the family. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, can I just add that I, I mean, that, David, that is perfect because that, like... It is it is a community. It's a theo, it's a theophany for our community, right? I mean, we all Amen. get to participate in this just explosion of the divine right in front of you. And w what a gift. What a gift. Yeah, sure is. I, I recently was in conversation with someone about my two favorite parts of, of our liturgy for baptism. Um, 
One is, I hope I never tire of hearing the resounding we will from the congregation when we're asked, will you support these persons? Like there's always this like rumbling that you can feel inside your, your heart. Um, and I hope I never tire of that because that to me is the church being alive and well and the spirit moving and running rampant in the world. And I think we need more of that because that is the start of joy um, for me. And then the second part is the prayer that happens in between the imposition of the water and then um, the marking and sealing of um, the Holy Spirit in baptism um, being marked as Christ's own. And it's the last portion of the prayer. And it says, O Lord, in your Holy Spirit, give them an inquiring and discerning heart, the courage to will and to persevere, a spirit to know and to love you, and the gift of joy and wonder in all your works. Amen. Amen. I love that part so much because it requires that we grow in our faith and that we question why we do the things we do and we wonder about God and and our Redeemer, the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and how all of this comes together for us. I think it's it's one of the most encouraging things. Um especially for those of us that come to baptism when we understand what baptism is rather than infants, um, when they become aware of their baptism at a later point and then confirm it at confirmation. Um, so that's, that's my favorite part. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you both so much for sharing your wisdom and your joy about baptism. And um, for our listeners, if you have questions for us, we receive them with so much excitement and so much joy. So we will post the link somewhere, somehow, um, when we post this episode uh, so you can contact us and, and let us know what you're thinking of and we'll do our best um, with the will of God's help um, to answer them and the Lord be with you both and also also with you. you hi my name is Justin my preferred pronouns are he they I have been an active Episcopalian since November 14th of 2015 when I was received into full communion I originally was a convert to Roland Roman Catholicism. After a decade and period of reflection, I found myself questioning some of the theology and canons of the Catholic Church and decided I should part ways with them and head towards a body that was more inclusive and fully represented the gospel. My baptism story starts around the time I was eight years old. I grew up in a household that had a very, had very little to do with church and did not belong to a particular denomination. I felt a call to faith at an early age around the time I was discovering what death meant and began to contemplate the afterlife. I gravitated towards broadcastings on TV that were heavy in ritual and sacraments. I watched EWTN, which is the Global Catholic Network, fairly regularly. 
I was drawn to the outward beauty of liturgical worship. I have always been a very tactile person, and so having a worship experience that engages and embodies the senses was really important to me. Around the time I was 13, my dad died of a heroin overdose. This really impacted me, and I wanted and needed to find a church community to support me through those difficult times following. My uncle's fiance at the time was a devout practicing Catholic, and so I started attending Mass with her. I worshipped for at least three years before formally joining the Catholic Church. I longed to be able to participate in the other sacraments, so I went through the initiation process and was baptized and received my first communion at the Easter Vigil in 2006, later being confirmed as a senior in high school. The things I remember in particular about my baptism was how exciting it was. There was a feeling of heaviness about the magnitude of the sacrament that was taking place. I had a close friend that was sponsoring me, and to have her hand on my shoulder during my baptism was a very touching experience. She later found out that she was pregnant with her first child during my baptism. My family was not supportive of me joining the Catholic Church and spoke out adamantly against it. My mother in particular almost prevented me from going to my own baptism. I was determined to make it though and did. When we got to the church, we were dressed in brown robes and would later put on a white garment after the baptism. I remember walking out of the vesting room and seeing my entire family there to support me. This was totally unexpected, but meant a lot to me. I had the option of full submersion or to have the water poured over my head. I never have been a person that favored being in awkward positions in front of others, so I chose to have the water poured instead of getting soaking wet in a room full of 200 people. I remember how it felt to be baptized. There was a sense of peace and calmness. I felt as if a weight had been lifted off of me and that I was made clean. The most powerful aspect was the sense of belonging to the communal body of Christ. My baptism still matters to me personally because it was and is the moment I chose to dedicate my life to following Christ and his example. It was and is the moment that I said yes to faith and rejected the ways of the secular world. While I have lived several years now since my baptism and have failed, failed at times to live up to those promises, I still honor and value the baptismal covenant. I live out the covenant in my daily life by striving to lay down, lay my life down in sacrifice for others, emulating the life that Christ laid down for you and I. When we are baptized, we lay ourselves before the feet of God and ask them to have their way and will in our lives. We are committing to loving our neighbors as ourselves, and we make a dedication to living a life that represents the message of the gospel. Baptism to me is the entry sacrament into the full participative life of the church. It is in baptism that we receive an outpouring of grace that allows us to live a life of dedication and example. Baptism allows us to live fully into the grace and mercy of God that we are then called to share with others. Baptism is a sacrament that calls us to a life of service. Baptism is the is one of the most important sacraments of the church, if not the most important. And I am so grateful that I have had the opportunity to experience this gift of love from God. Hey friends, thanks for listening. Please like and subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about all things Episcopal, visit campusministry.dioestmo.org backslash all things Episcopal. All Things Episcopal podcast is a production of the Diocese of West Missouri in association with Resonant Media. The Lord be with you all.